Hello and welcome to the Rennick Centre podcast. This week we are chatting to Karen Matthews Lane from the Matilda Rose Early Intervention Centre to talk about how important play is in a child's development. We hope you enjoy. Hello and welcome to another Rennick Centre podcast. My name is Trudy Smith and I'm the Manager of Continuing Professional Education at the RIDBC Rennick Centre. It's my great pleasure to be joined by Karen today. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself, Karen? Oh, hi Trudy. Uh, well, my name's Karen Matthews Lay, and I'm a speech pathologist. Um, I've been working at Matilda Rose Centre for, well, I've actually been working in this field of hearing impairment for 20 years, mm-hmm. um, and been with the Matilda Rose team since 2002. Um, so yes, a, 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 an integral part of this team now, I think, well yes. and truly, absolutely. legs under the table. You absolutely <laughs> are, and and which is one of the reasons that I'm so delighted to have you with us today, because I've heard you talk about this topic before, so I'm really excited about this presentation today. So we're going to talk about play, and I'm interested in how did you become interested in play as a therapist? Yeah, well, I think I look back on my life and I think that I've always been a player. Um, play was really important to me as a child growing up in Yorkshire where there really wasn't much else to do um, I've got great memories of you know that's that's my childhood memories of playing with my brother and my friends and setting up these great elaborate play events that went on for days and um, and then I think I've kind of probably remained quite a playful adult I don't know if that sounds <laughs> strange um, and it's definitely become a, a very important part of my work and our work here at Matilda Rose Centre um, so we really noticed very early on that children don't learn unless they're playing or thinking that they're playing. Um, and we've always had that awareness that learning through play was absolutely vital to a child's development and that it brings all of the child's skills together. Um, and we really realised early on that it was the vehicle to learning, if you like. Um, but a light bulb moment for me Um, I didn't really realise how vital play was to so many areas of development until I first attended Karen Stagnetti's workshop on play um, and that was back in 2014. That was a real light bulb moment, hearing her talk about how pretend play and really pretending in play is the platform from which we learn so many other skills. Sure. What do you mean by pretend play? So I mean when a child is really totally immersed in the play, when they are unaware of everything else around them. Real pretend play is that internally motivated play. Um, It's fully controlled by the player, by the child. It's safe, it's unpredictable, anything can happen. It's spontaneous and it's a lot of fun. Um, And it's an all-encompassing activity and it involves motor, sensory, cognition, language, um, a multitude of other skills. Um, Karen Stagnetti talks about studies that have been done where children wear a cap of electrodes to monitor their brain activity during play. And then when a child is engaged in that deep pretend play, literally every part of the brain lights up. So this kind of work is, is exhausting for children, yeah. Yeah, I can imagine, but is there like an age limit? What age do children start to learn to play? Well, incredibly early. Obviously, play develops from birth. Um, you know, we start off with people play and just the peekaboos and the back and forths and so on. 
Um, but symbolic play, um, I actually start teaching symbolic play with children before they're even one. So at this stage, it's just brief. Um, they'll just watch intently, um, and, the, and it requires a lot, a lot of repetition. But it always still involves the body at this early stage. So, for example, you know, closing your eyes and pretending to go to sleep, and then waking up, yeah. and so on. Um, that sort of real early symbolic play. But very, very quickly, children from around 12 to 15 months start to become very interested in playing with something that's in their life routine. Um, so they might start feeding themselves with an empty spoon or pretending to drink from a, an empty bottle. Um, and then it's by 18 months, that's when we can really start to introduce the doll or the teddy, um, Elmo as we use a lot here. And that's when children really start to imitate the actions that they've seen before. So that's when they'll start feeding Elmo with a spoon or giving him a bottle. Um, what's really interesting for me is to, to notice that even at this very, very early stage of play, children know that it's pretending. So for example, if you go to sleep, um, they'll copy you, but they'll know that the fun of it is the fact that they're pretending and then they sort of have an innate understanding that it, this is a game. Um, okay. So yeah, so it's all very early really, I think. It's yeah. really early, yeah, I think. Really early. Yeah, more early than I think many of us mm. attribute something to play exactly. and give it exactly. that name. So how does this kind of play then develop into that full pretend, life-altering, fully Complex engaging play, play that yeah, you described earlier? Yeah, yeah. So I think the, one of the keys that I've learned from Karen yeah, is building up those little pretend play stories, scripts from very, very early, really helps children to start to develop their attention skills, sequencing, understanding a simple basic story, and of course that's the basis for more complex play schemas later on and all your literacy, cognition, yep. problem solving, etc. So at the very, very start we might use a really simple story to show that there's a logical sequence. So we're starting with a beginning, a middle and an end to the play. So like a little bear has a, or Elmo has a bath and goes to bed and then he has a bath and then he goes to bed. And we're doing that logical play sequence and we're doing the repetition over and over again. And then we can add another little bit in. He brushes his teeth, has a bath, goes to bed and so on. So we're building up our little play story, but we're keeping it logical and sequential. Um, and we're always using the child's real life experience. Mm -hmm. So if you have a child who's, you know, got very limited life experience and spends his life in the car going to appointments which we see often yes then that's what we play yep um i do remember years ago working with a little boy and setting up this beautiful activity with ducks and water and we got the duck pond happening and we were feeding the ducks and this child had never seen a duck <laughs> that's not going to work <laughs> that's not going to work <laughs> never seen a duck or a duck pond no idea what was going on. Um, so we had to take him out to the local park, feed the real ducks, um, show him a real duck, and then we could go back and play. Um, so using the child's life experiences, we can build up those play in, in lots of ways. 
So we can build up the number of actions in the logical play sequence and then we can start expanding the child's play experience as their life experience expands. So they have a family outing to the zoo, we'll play it. If the child's been in hospital for some reason, we play it. Um, yeah, as I, like it's only by about two and a half years old that we can, like from, from 18 months in that year, 18 months to two and a half, that's when a child goes from, you know, one or two play sequences and then by two and a half they can do about six to seven play actions sure. in a logical sequence. But not imaginary, it's all very much based on things that they've seen and done and experienced. It, yes, so this is still pretend play which is different to imaginary play. Yep. So imaginary play develops later when they start to be able to play things outside of their own experience. Yep. At this early stage it's definitely concrete. concrete but it's still pretend. Yes. Like the child still really pretends that that, that doll is real, like that, that doll is starting now to take on a life. By two and a half, that doll is starting to have a have feelings and take on a life of its own. So it's still a significant cognitive step, isn't it, to, to pick up a toothbrush and use it even though there's no toothbrush on it, you're not in front of a sink. So it's still... Massive. Yeah, it's so it's still massive. really important development. Massive, yes. And I think each stage is, is huge, there's a big jump. So like you say, going from picking up a toothbrush and pretending to brush Elmo's teeth, there's the first step to then by two and a half, um, then the child that that Elmo is has feelings, you know he he wants to brush his teeth. He's he's you know or he's thirsty. He's hungry. He's tired. Yeah. He's got his own little feelings. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. And you and does Karen you know are there things that you should bring into play? So yeah, Karen talks about things that that you must bring into play as soon as possible. So she is a big advocate. For bringing in a doll or a teddy into everything you do as early as possible so um, there's usually in our therapy sessions there will be a doll or a teddy on the table who is taking his turn in whatever we are doing and teddy you know takes on his life and has his own birthday he has his own <laughs> has his own tantrums everything <laughs> um, so the other thing that's interesting that she talks about is bringing in an inanimate object to be used in play as soon as possible. So, in, you know, as soon as you can, as the child can cognitively cope, we're bringing in a cardboard box for a, the teddy's bed or a stick to feed the teddy instead of a spoon. We're trying to really get that symbolic play and a step further, you know, as soon as yep. the child is... Is ready. Is ready, yep. exactly. There will be children who can't do that there's always a child that goes but that's a stick that's not a spoon or that's a bot you know yes and that you know they're not really ready symbolic but i still. still think you still have to teach it and go well this is the bed and leave nothing to the child's imagination you are you are explaining what you're doing every step so if you're making teddy walk i'm making teddy walk he's walking if you're making teddy sleep opt i'm making teddy sleep he's sleeping he's in his bed like you're, you're um, telegraphing, what's, telegraphing happening. what's happening you're not making like letting the child just make an assumption make an, yeah yeah exactly exactly so we've alluded a little bit to this but are there skills necessary for a child to be able to pretend play yeah I think this is the thing that really was quite amazing for me as well when I looked at pretend play and what's involved and the complexity of it um, 
Real Pretend Play is highly complex and really does require a great number of skills. It takes time for, to, for a child to get to the depth and complexity of a five-year-old's play. Um, and some of these skills we've, I've had to actually teach in isolation before that we can get to the play. So a child really needs to be able to initiate an idea. That sounds very simple, but a lot of our kids are so therapized yep. with adults telling them what to do, they actually can't initiate their own So ideas. what you mean by that is Teddy looks sick. And so that them suggesting where the play is going to go or Teddy looks tired, is that what you mean? Yeah, or? I mean, to be honest, it, it's not even as high level as that often. Um, you know, even like we might we might be playing, for example, we may have, um, I'm trying to think, yeah, I, well, I'll give you an example of a child I worked with. So we'd been working on play beautifully and, you know, she was very happy we'd get the tea set out and we'd get the teddies out and so on. And then she would sit there and she'd wait to see what we did with this play. Um, and it took me a while to realise, wow, we've shown her how to play and modelled it so many times, she actually doesn't have her own ideas. Yeah. So this particular child, we spent weeks getting the toys out and then just waiting, waiting and just, you know, waiting and, and, and she had no idea, no idea without being shown. So that's a, a very good example, I think. Eventually she would just touch a cup and we'd make that, and we'd all touch the cup. Whatever <laughs> she did, we copied. We she, copied that was like yeah. just to show that nothing can be wrong in play. Yeah. But I think she was so terrified of getting something wrong. I was going to suggest, is it a fear that she'll get fear it wrong? Fear that she was getting it wrong. Choose the wrong idea. Yeah, and, and, and I think a lot of our kids like that because they've had so much sort of structured time with adults. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah. So it's a very, very important skill and something to always have in the back of your mind, I think. Um, so another skill is to be able to pre-plan your play. Now, that's a huge skill because that's prediction. That's being able to visualise what you, the props you need. Yes. That's be able to plan your story out. Huge, mm, absolutely, and a, and a massive task. And um, but this is what four-year-olds are doing in preschool. They're going right. Okay, let's play Batman. Right, you be you be this, you be that. Right, we need this, this, and this. And a child who can't join in with that and pre-plan, they this are left out. out of the play. So yep. it's it's complex. Um, they have to be able to sequence their play logically. So a child who cannot stick to the logical script and suddenly brings in unpredictable things or smashes something or crashes or the other kids are not going to want to play with them. Yep. Like that's just unpredictable and the kids like it to be logical. Well, if you've pre-planned how the story's going to go and then someone comes in and, exactly. and, and messes with it, exactly. that does draw everyone's plan exactly off. Exactly right. Exactly right. Um, obviously they have to be able to interact with their peers, they've got to be able to express their ideas or listen to the other children's ideas. You know, those are complex skills for our kids. They are. Um, they've got to pretend that an object is something else. Now that's a very big skill. They've got to, know, they've got to be able to really pretend that stick is a spoon or it could even be a witch. Um, whatever the children have set that object up to be, you have to be able to pretend that to, you can't just go and go, yeah, no, that's just a stick and knock it over. The other children were very upset. Yes. 
Again, you're messing with the script. You're messing with the script. Don't mess with the <laughs> Don't script. Don't mess with the script. Um, you've got to be able to attribute properties to an object or an action. So that, t- you know, you've got to believe that the baby is sad and upset or hungry. You have to believe that the car has really run out of petrol. Um, you've got to be able, to be able to refer to absent objects. You know, there's a giant coming. <laughs> Everyone be quiet. Um yeah, and be able to play in reference to something outside of themselves, which is what you were talking about, that real imaginary play. Yeah. So it's not their own experience anymore. Like, you know, we haven't actually really met giants, but, you know, you've got to be able to imagine, <laughs> imagine those things, experience. that world. Yeah, um, Yeah. so as, as I say, if they can't do any one of those skills, then that is very hard for them to join in with the other kids with play. Um, so yeah, I think Westby's quote to me was lovely. He he did some research on this, and in '91, he'd said, "To be truly competent in the world, children must be able to do more than repeat a string of facts. They must understand more than the laws governing the physical world. To exist successfully within the world requires an understanding of people." And I think play totally reflects that. And that's what we you know play is everything. It's it's that understanding of people at a whole different level yeah Yeah. play is so important we always talk about the importance of play for development and i'm sure that it's it must affect lots of areas of development not just can you play in the in in the kindergarten playground with other peers as well what are the areas officially or that are that research tells us are actually influenced by play so um yeah karen stagnetti's done a lot of research on this um, so she has looked at children who can't play. Um, she calls it a play deficit and has mm-hmm. actually di- a diagnosis of play deficit. And these are neurotypical kids. Um, and she's assessed all their literacy skills um, in particular. She has then done a six-week course of teaching them play and then reassessed their literacy skills after. Um, and the difference is significant. Without a base of, of good play skills um, and all the things that we've talked about, it's very hard to develop literacy skills. It's very hard to develop you know, good storytelling, um, imaginary stories. It's very hard to understand the written text and create a story in your head. It's hard to predict you know, yep. future things. Understand things, characters' motivations. All of that. All of the, the things oh, yes. that we ask kids Problem to answer solving. in comprehension activities. Yes. We're actually asking them to see things from someone else's perspective. Yeah, all that theory of mind stuff. Beautiful. <laughs> yes. Exactly. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. Without that play. Yes. They can't do that. Is this something that you've seen with anyone that you've interacted with? Well, it's interesting that you say that because um, my, uh, my youngest son... Um, forgive me, my son, <laughs> for talking about you like this. Um, but he is actually a neurotypical child without any learning difficulties. Um, and I think having two older sisters who just entertained him constantly, he actually just never he never learned to play. And he, he there was n- never a time when he would pretend, like really get into pretend play. Um, I think Karen would diagnose him as having that play deficit. Uh, I mean, she talks a lot about the different kinds of play deficits and what they look like. And I recognised him as a no-initiation player. And I think a lot of people might recognise this no-initiation player. 
So he's physically active, massively physically engaged. He's always playing football or handball in the playground. But he needed to be entertained all the time. He just, I'm bored, what Mm -hmm. can I do? What shall I do next? Had to be waited to be shown what to do constantly. He preferred that template type of play, so using computer games, Xbox. Someone else decides for you what's going to happen next. Absolutely, and I think we're going to we're we're walking into a world with more and more of this type of issue. I feel. Um, So I do remember when he was very little. Like I think, um, I mean, an example of this was. I used to say, like, come on, everybody, hurry up, everyone, get your shoes on, we've got to get out the door. And he would absolutely freak out and just couldn't cope with that. Um, and I, I realise now, through the work that Karen does, that that was the end of his story. Mm-hmm. Like, getting me getting everyone out and putting your shoes on and getting out the door, that was it. There was He had no ability to complete the story, to so, know that we were going to go in the car, know that we were going to go out and that we were going to come home again. Um, so he couldn't make us... It's Wednesday, so usually on Wednesdays we go grocery shopping or we visit Nana. He couldn't Yeah, he couldn't fill in, that the, he couldn't fill in the, the missing part, if you mm-hmm. like. Um, I think when it was predictable and within routine, it was okay. But if there was something out of routine, he was lost. lost. And I had no concept of that, you know, that I had to break it down for him and explain the whole story. And talking to my younger mother self, I would have gone back and played that with him Mm -hmm. and actually played getting in the car, going out, you know, going grocery shopping and coming back so that he then had that nice logical sequential narrative. Um, he's, uh, He's in high school now. Um, and the high school teacher, as they do, you know, they give them a first sentence of a story and, you know, off we go. We rest. have to write a creative story. Here's your sizzling start. Here's Sizzle your away. Sizzle your start. <laughs> that is his nightmare because yeah. he hasn't got the imagination to think up a story. That's just never been part of his childhood. So um, that is very, very difficult for him and causes a lot of stress. Um Transitions are still very hard for him. Transitioning from primary school to high school was incredibly difficult. He hadn't he hadn't been able to imagine any of, or predict any of his new life at all, and so that transition was and still is. And transitions are very mm-hmm. very tricky for him. Adapting and and to changes of plan are still very hard for him. Um, yeah, I'm making him sound like he has major issues, but it's not. It's just an underlying thing that I now realise yeah. um, are going to be difficult things for him, and that will that's the foundation. You know, he doesn't. That's too late to go back now for him. Yep. So build that that, that yeah, knowledge. Yeah, yeah. As well. Mm. It's interesting. But you, you you listen to some of this and you think you know often someone's going to look at that behaviour and someone's got a little person who's not engaging with their peers at like preschool, just got weird social skills as well and and what you've been talking about today really kind of suggests that it's actually more than that so is there you know how do you know if someone needs to work on their play or needs a play assessment yeah that's a a very good question i i think it can be quite a hidden issue um, and a child's behavior can be very misunderstood so if we think about children who can't play as you were talking about um, it, it actually might not be the first thing we think of 
we often think of social skills um, or we might think of language skills or so on. We might say they're an only child so they yeah, just don't know how to play. That's it, exactly. They'll grow into that's it. It's missed as a play issue. Um, so I think thinking about the children, the red flags in children, as you suggested, the kids who don't interact with their peers and are often by themselves, you know, I've oh, he's a loner, he likes his own company, red flag, because, mm. you know, why is he a loner and why is Absolutely. he preferring his own company? Is that a choice he's making? Yeah. yeah. Or has or the choice been made for that's him That's right, by his because peers? he doesn't have those skills. Um, obviously, the children have poor language skills. I think poor language and poor play often go hand in hand, but not, not necessarily, and I'll come to that later. Um, those, those children who can't initiate their, their own activities and have to be shown how to do everything, the followers, yeah. then the poor initiators. Um, yeah, there are those kids who seem concrete in their thinking and I think they can be misinterpreted. Um, I think you need to look at their play um, and it's hard to know, you know how to unpick that, but you know, the child, the, there are those children who, you know, no, that's that's not a that's not a cup of coffee, that's mud. Is that a concrete thinking thing or is that a poor play? Yeah. Um, learning difficulties, delayed development. Let's have a look at their play and yeah. just see where that's at. Um, those kids who are socially and emotionally immature, I hear this a lot. Oh, he's very bright. He's very bright. <laughs> we want to start him in kindergarten. He's, you know, he's bright. He can read, but he seems to be very immature. I think that that is a red flag for me. I suspect that the play is not where it should be yep. for a five-year-old starting school. Um, those children who prefer structured play, those c kids who are always at the puzzle corner, always colouring in and actually not playing in a diverse way. Um, I think we've all met this child, the child who kind of walks through the other kids carefully built. They are the bane of every <laughs> playgroup person. Absolutely. <laughs> the kids have just finished their phenomenal castle built out of blocks and the child has no idea that he's just walked through it and destroyed it and no concept of the meaning that that's had for the other children. That's a red flag. Poor play. Um, and I've, I've met so many of these kids, the ones who can only play one story where everything dies, crash, bang, bang, crash, everything dies, yeah. Yep. So those are the kids that I would be, yeah, really looking and assessing their play. Okay. Mm. I'm sure that there are lots of us who are listening today who are thinking of that little person in their minds and thinking, okay, so I'm, not, I'm no longer going to carry those norms in my head that he's just got poor social skills or those sorts of things i need to do some more play in my therapy or my interactions with them if it's a god niece goddaughter whatever it is what advice do you have to where do you begin including play in your yeah so i think like that's a it's a that's a kind of a a good answer with a complex sorry a good question with a complex answer um i think Attending Karen Stagnetti's workshops would be really helpful for people because that really gives you good cues and clues on how to assess play. Um, she talks a lot about setting out toys that are kind of appropriate for the age. So you wouldn't be, 
even a child with low level, you wouldn't be getting Teddy in a cup out if they're five. To be guided You'd by be the getting Spider-Man out yeah. or whatever. But you are leaving the toys out and just just have a look at what they do. Just take a little seat back, um, have a look at how they play. Are they initiating their own ideas? Are they formulating stories? Are they following you know, long sequences of play or is it just one play attempt and then move on to the next thing? Um, what is their play script? You know, what is it, is it appropriate for their age? So yeah, and counting how many actions are involved. Is it just one or two or can they do a, you know, full 1920? <laughs> um, so what happens when you bring in an object substitution? Can they cope with that? Can they just integrate that into their play? Make sure that you bring that into their play. Um, what's the role of the teddy and the doll when you bring that in? Can they can they integrate that into their play? And making sure that you keep that in your head as well to always bring that in so that you're always making everything symbolic yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. and pretend. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that permission to allow time to play um, I think that's been a big thing, being a speech pathologist, you know, you've always got your session plan and your goals and it's quite hard to, to actually to give yourself permission to actually just make this a child-led play session um, and actually let it go the way that it's going to go and bring in ideas and, and really let that child immerse themselves in that play and don't be thinking about all your other alphabet you know literacy skills yeah you are working on all of it yes permission to play is a big one (laughs) has been granted yes that's right um and building in breaks i think i had to learn that very quickly this is when you get really engaged and really pretending this is exhausting work for children they will be absolutely exhausted at the end of it parents tell me they sleep in the car all the way home building breaks um and you can't go wrong really it's there's nothing no wrong there's nothing wrong in play it's it's a wonderful experience and i i can't encourage people enough to pull out a doll pull out a stick pull out a cardboard box and just get on the floor and just play and let it go where the child wants to take you no better advice than that so go forth and play thank you so much this has been a slightly longer presentation but i've learned so much and i'm sure that everyone else has too so thank you so much for your time today thank you thank you trudy thank you to karen for speaking with us today if you have any questions about things raised in this podcast please contact the renwick center team via the short courses website or the facebook page